Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. We have called this episode the C word. Mm-hmm. And that's probably not what you're thinking because, you know, given the stuff we talk about, yeah, uh, you might be thinking that that C word, but no, that's not what we're talking about. The other about. C word. But we got you in, didn't we? Mm-hmm. We're talking about the other C word, which is cancer. Mm. It's pretty horrible. Mm. But it um, touched a lot of people's lives. Well, the reason we wanted to do an episode on cancer was that, that very fact that it is a fact of life for so many of us that we know someone or we ourselves have been touched by cancer and I know there's those words touched by cancer Mm. and journey, journey Mm. with cancer. cancer. Why is that always a thing? People just don't really know how to talk about it, do they? Well, that's why we wanted to do this episode. Yeah. So we did flesh out who we would talk to. Would we get a professional, you know, oncologist, someone that was going to talk about it from a theoretical point of view? And then we thought, well, actually, no, let's see if we can get somebody who's willing to talk about it from a personal point of view. Well, I think the problem we all face is if we haven't personally experienced anything, whether it's cancer or a miscarriage or a divorce, it's really sometimes confronting but also difficult to know how to support someone through that. And often we say the wrong thing and people get offended and it's a time where emotions are heightened and I just think the more that we can be aware around all facets of you know, mm. these sort of these sorts of things, then we can best help people. And it's not help isn't just um, in the doctor's office. It's actually everything around no. that. And so, you know, we can. We can get an oncologist to talk about it. But I actually think that in real life situations, this is the stuff that actually helps the general mm. public, you know, yep. and, and our listeners to be able to cope better and support those that they love. And we like to normalize things here at mm-hmm. the Wellness Collective. We like to um, you know, make you feel like you're not crazy or weird if you're (laughs) experiencing something that the rest of us are experiencing Mm -hmm. as well. So uh, today we have a special guest. So we're just going to pass it over to when we had a chat with her, which was actually a few months ago. And we'll give you an update at the end of of what's happened since then. All right. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I think I won't put the headphones on if that's right. No, that's good. No problem. So uh, the reason that this friend of mine, who I will introduce to you now, her name is Georgie Five Jameson. Hi, Seth. Thanks for joining us. Um, The reason that uh, Georgie has agreed to come and talk to us at the Wellness Collective is because Georgie has had cancer for, on and off for... Since 2009. 2009. when I was first diagnosed. So nine years. That's exactly right. So thank you for coming and talking to us about it because cancer was on our list of things to discuss in the Wellness Collective, but it's huge. And where do you start? And I think also it's discussed so often from a sense of a healthcare professional, but to actually hear about your own experiences and learnings and what it's taught you, I think is very um, great for those people that are probably in the same position or maybe you're going to be in the same position, or I don't know, but I think it's it's wonderful to be able to do that. So, yeah, I thank you as well for joining us. Oh, not at all. It's <laughs> a pleasure to be here. And, yeah, it's I've had a long time to kind of get used to what's been going on as well. So, yeah. You have? Of, yeah. Can I ask what type of cancer? Um, so, oestrogen receptive um, back in 2009. Um, so, I had um, chemo, first of all, 
um, and um, Herceptin radiotherapy mm-hmm. and a lumpectomy. Mm-hmm. So that well. was breast cancer? Yeah, that was breast cancer, okay. exactly. So it was 2009, you're in Australia and how did you even find out that you had breast cancer? Yeah. Because how old were you at the time? Um, I was 32. I was actually visiting Australia at the time. I had lived there previously but had gone back to the UK. I was back to Australia on a trip and I just felt a lump on my breast. Um, I just put my hand on my breast. I wasn't actually doing a proper test. We all should. Um, And I just felt this small kind of pea-sized lump on my breast and um, straight away, you know, Skyped my doctor and organised an appointment for when I was back. Mm. Um, And um, kind of it all happened really quickly from there. I got, you know, had the biopsy back at the doctor um, within a few days. And um, I think it was two weeks um, later I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I often wonder about that because... I don't know what I'm looking or feeling for. And often people say, oh, I felt a lump. Mm. So, like, you really feel it. You know, it's kind of out of the ordinary. Yeah, and it's possible I that's know that one of the symptoms that people do um, talk about, but I think there also are other symptoms that people can have with breast cancer, as I'm sure you well know. Of course, yes, but that's what I think that, you know, I, you know we're encouraged to examine our breasts, mm. and I think that's really important. But often we can be a bit like, oh, I don't know what I'm feeling for, and especially if you've got fibrous breasts or cystic breasts, yeah. it can be really tricky to be able to feel. But what... Mm. And, of course, there are cases where it goes undiagnosed for a long time but there's often I hear of women say exactly that oh no I felt a lump like it was obviously a definite Mm. different change within Mm. your body for you to know that that was something that's right and I think the key thing is to kind of know how your breasts feel Mm. um, and obviously to be aware if there are any differences Um, so doing those regular checks is so important and I you know, I have got advanced cancer now, but at the time, back in 2009, 2010, I was really pleased that um, it was detected early because it made a huge, huge difference for me. Mm. Sure. And then tell us then beyond that. So 2009, you obviously chemo, radio, and then you moved into a, a stage of tran- uh, transmission. That's not the right word. <laughs> Remission? <laughs> Remission exactly. is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And came back to Australia, which was great. So yeah, it was a year of quite full on treatment um, and it was really stressful and worrying but I had amazing support um, my partner and my family and friends um, and after that uh, and sort of another year later came back to Australia and um, didn't think that um, you know it would never reappear to be honest I, I always thought it would seeing as I was 32 and mm-hmm. hoping that I had lots of time ahead of me um, and then three years ago um, in my other breast um, through mammogra- a mammogram because I was having yearly mammograms, um, they detected um, DCIS, which is ductal carcinoma in situ. So um, some people, or some doctors say it isn't even cancer, it's a pre-cancer, but others do call it cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, So cancer that was still in a duct, so it wasn't at a kind of aggressive um, stage. So it was great that it was detected early, but it was in the other breast, so it was all a bit worrying. And Mm. I had another round of um, radiotherapy. All right, so I'm just going to take a moment to expand on what the treatments are because I think this is one of the things about any of these um, situations that we find ourselves in. You know, for ages you'd talk about PCOS and I didn't have any idea what that actually, the acronym stood for. Mm -hmm. Let's look at some of the terminology, okay? So Georgie's just talking about the fact that she had radiation therapy, so radiotherapy. Now, do you know the difference between radiotherapy and chemotherapy? I do, yes. Well, can you explain? <laughs> well, radiation's being exposed to, or usually used for an area that's isolated that you're then actually applying that exactly that too. Whereas chemotherapy is something that is um, the the whole goes to a kill off cells in the body. So one's kind of external and one's internal, um, and both are used 
sometimes together, sometimes independently, um, based on what the cancer is. I'm certainly not a specialist in cancer, though. That's my limited understanding. No, but at least you know the difference because, I mean, you do, I'm sure we've all met someone who's got cancer and they're like, I'm going through chemo, but I'm doing radiotherapy at the moment. And, you know... You... And some forms of cancer don't respond to one or the mm. other. Um, that's the other, you know, that's the other tricky part of it is that often um, radiotherapy is for more localised, whereas something's more systemic and throughout, you know, a, a system of the body, that's when chemo is going to work better. Whereas if you have, um, I don't know, some type of tumour, um, often it's it's just local and you can use radiotherapy as well. Mm. And the radio, I didn't realise this, but having a look at the um, Peter McCallum Institute website, that's the Cancer Centre in Melbourne, mm-hmm. which um, I actually went with Georgie mm. to one of her appointments to, and it is an extraordinary place. Like yeah. we are in this city so lucky to have this and I'm sure there are cancer centres right around mm. the country mm. and, you know, mm. overseas that would emulate it, but they've designed this building in itself. Apart from the treatment, the building is has this sense of calm, and it's like the Guggenheim Museum in um, New York, where there's sort of like all these white balconies inside and an atrium inside. Mm-hmm. So there's all this beautiful natural mm. light. So this idea that because you've got cancer, you have to be in a hospital tucked away, out of sight, going through all of this has kind of been thrown away by the fact that they've established this place. There's obviously a lot of research behind that too. It makes a lot of sense that it's not just about killing cancer. Do you know what I mean? Like this is what we traditionally thought we needed to do, but now we're learning that there's so, again, there's so many different facets to that as well. The holistic approach. Well, and and that's what tends to work, you know, is, is an integrated approach, I think, is what a lot of people are, are going for. I think the biggest hurdle with something like cancer is just the fear of how severe it can be, Mm. um, which doesn't really do anyone any favours. But how do you not fear that? So I think, again, it, it comes down to as much information as possible so that we can be supportive, not fearful. Hey, look, we're going to take a quick break because we've waffled for a bit, but we're going to get back into Georgie's story after this. Here on The Wellness Collective, in this episode, we're talking about living with cancer and we we're very lucky to have a good friend of mine, Georgie Five Jameson, come in and share her story of uh, what she's been going through over the last nine years. In July last year in 2017, um, I was lifting my bicycle out of a car. I'm pretty active, um, cycle a lot and normally cycle everywhere, but this particular time I'd taken the bike in the car and... Um, Something happened to my back. Um, I was lifting in a really bad way, you know, lifting kind of, you know, away from your body, which you should never really do anyway, especially when you're middle-aged, 41. (laughs) Hey, careful. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Should have bandied that one around too much. I know. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, something happened to my back, something that I'd never really felt before, and it felt like it was a bit of a crumble, but I wasn't really sure. Um, And my neighbour helped me finish off the bikes, but it was really sore and all the muscles around um, the lower back were, yeah, really uncomfortable. Um, Then I got a few kind of days and nights of abdominal pain. Um, didn't really know what that was about, but I was, wasn't was sleeping. So I just went to the doctor or booked an appointment for the doctor. So this was about a week after my back had gone as well and wasn't improving. Um, the morning that I was about to go to the doctor, suddenly felt this lump under my arm. Um, yeah, timing. So yeah, kind of, again, the doctors here were absolutely fantastic and sent me for um, scans and and mm-hmm. tests straight away and very quickly. I was diagnosed with um, 
breast cancer that had spread to a lymph node and um, various bones, including my parts of my spine. Right. Okay. And then what does that, at the moment, in terms of treatment or just management, where is that at? Um, so I am having two sorts of pills at the moment. So a targeted therapy um, called uh, ribocyclib, which isn't yet on the PBS. So I feel like I'm really lucky to have it because it's proven to be effective for women in my situation with the kind of cancer that I've got in combination with letrozole, which is a common um, hormone therapy pill that's been around for, for decades, I think. So I'm having those two pills um, kind of most days. Um, very few side effects for me. I feel really lucky. Um, at the moment, it's really about kind of um, quality of life. So they're trying to, um, you know, control it as much as possible, but not put me on the, the really tough mm, stuff like sure. chemo yeah. um, at the moment. So that's that's great. It's been such a big part of your life for all that time. And I remember when you were first diagnosed and like you said, we were 31, 32, and it just seemed so wrong and out of place. I mean, what's how's your mental state over that time changed? Like, how do you get through that? I, I really feel very lucky with my partner, my friends and my family. It has made a huge difference. Um, I, You know, everyone has challenges in life as well. Um, most people have things that they have to try and get through. And But I think I do feel lucky with the support that I get. And I really have a great faith in all the doctors as well and the nurses. Everyone's been amazing. My life's great. I'm I'm really lucky with all of that but I do try and keep really active too and I always have done um, and that makes a huge difference to me um, so walking when I hurt my back a few months ago um, as much as possible as opposed to more active um, exercise but now I'm doing a lot of swimming I'm loving Pilates it's something that I've recently discovered and um, someone's been supporting me through the beginning of that and, and that's been absolutely brilliant someone with experience of people in my situation so exercise and even and you meditation feel you feel good is that what you're saying as yeah, well you generally I do. feel good yes. I do I feel tired I'm a bit tired but don't we all <laughs> <laughs> yes we do isn't that extraordinary though that I, I think you know just listening to you that whatever you face in life, it's the way you face it. Mm. You know, you could have just packed up your bags and said, right, I've had this diagnosis last year and that's it, you know, well, yeah. I'm giving up now. But you're not, you're doing Pilates, you're doing swimming, you're organising, you're having a picnic this weekend, your mum's coming over exactly. from England. Like there's all these things that you are embracing because of your outlook. Yeah. And, and so, you know, sometimes it definitely is hard Um and all those hospital appointments, for example, especially at the beginning when you're diagnosed, it's um, it really disrupts your life, obviously your work and, and everything too. It takes up so much time and it's mentally really tiring. Um, and for me, it was useful or is useful always to have my partner or someone, a friend with me at appointments because I found mm. it useful. One of us to do the talking, usually me and another to kind of write notes and you know, results and dates and, and things like that. But um, yeah, it's, it is, you know, as with most people, it's kind of up and down. But generally, um, as I say, I feel incredibly supported and um, and I'm learning to be present. <laughs> well, I think that's it too, isn't it? That you either have, like you said, you make a choice and if you're going to, if you, that's going to be your reminder to live each and every day to the fullest, that is never a bad, bad situation really to find yourself in because, you know, 
Absolutely. We just don't know what ha- what's next to come. Um, obviously, taking the drugs that you are and um, obviously the type of cancer that you have, can we talk a little bit about what's happened with your hormones? Mm, absolutely. It's my favourite area to talk about, <laughs> so let's do that for me. So, yeah. So part of... Um, your diagnosis was that you were to have a medical hysterectomy last year, isn't that right? Actually, not a hysterectomy. I had my ovaries oh, out. Oh, just yeah, your ovaries. Yeah, yeah, oh, you've exactly. still got your uterus. Yeah. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so, you know, obviously that was better for me. It was less of invasive surgery. So, um, yeah, that was a bit of a shock. Um, I mean, in some ways I feel like my kind of hormone level is a bit more stable, but obviously having lots of hot flushes mm-hmm. <laughs> day and night, which is, is um, it's just feels more than hot flushes. It's your body just really kind of whole burns up um, and it stops you from sleeping. I guess the hard part is that hard. there's no transition. You kind of go from one one day having your ovaries to the next day not yeah. and then your body's like, what? Exactly. Um, whereas, you know, when you transition through, it, you, you're going to have a, potentially a period of time where it's full on but it's sort of gradual and you build up to that so mm. it's not like thrown straight in. Yeah. Um, so that's obviously been another challenge it as has. part of everything else. It has. I guess I do also feel... You know, fortunate in in many ways because um, I haven't got children, and uh, you know, me and my partner we've um denied for a long time. But really, we had come to the decision that we probably that they weren't it wasn't going to be for us in in our lives. So um, having to you know have that surgery, I didn't have to consider that factor as well. So that mm. was that was great for me. Yes. Can you explain, um, so you said about the hot flushes, does menopause happen immediately? Like when you got home from hospital, you're like, right, I feel different. Like what, what did it feel like? Um, I mean, so I guess the other thing for me was, you know, having the physical surgery and having gone from being quite a fit person and then the six, eight weeks before being very unfit or stopping doing exercise because my back was just really quite bad and I didn't really know what was going on. So I stopped doing exercise and then suddenly had this surgery and basically I put on lots of weight <laughs> around my, my middle. And so that kind of, um, yeah, upset me. So it was, it was kind of hard. So that was going on. Then these, yeah, hot flushes. Um, obviously, you don't know when they're going to come mm. day and night. It definitely took a bit of getting used to. There was just so much going on. So, um yeah, each day was different, really. Can I really. share that uh, Georgie actually said to me a little while ago that her partner said her moods are better now. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't have uh, PMS because her PMS was so bad that it's actually cured oh, There it. you go. Oh, no, bonus. That's, that's definitely a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is, that's funny. Um, yeah. Just quickly, when you have cancer, I feel like... It's like you get a T-shirt that says, I have cancer, mm. and people look at you differently. Have you found that? Like, how have you dealt with, you know, colleagues and friends and, and what their reaction is yeah, to the diagnosis? I mean, I'm quite open about it. The first time in 2009 when I was diagnosed, um, I was lucky that although I was having chemo and it was the kind of chemo that your hair usually falls out, I did um, have access to having a cold cap. Um, which was incredibly uncomfortable. But I think even in 2009, that was a pretty new thing. So that meant it froze the hair follicles when I put it on my head as I was having chemo. So actually my hair didn't come out too much um, in 2009. So it wasn't that obvious and I didn't really tell that many people apart from kind of close friends and family and some work colleagues. But this time around, um, yeah, I'm definitely pretty op- open about it. Um, 
if anyone kind of wants to know, very happy to talk about it, definitely. And um, I think having that conversation is really important. I think there's not enough of that. And you're right, it is. We can very quickly step into the label of our condition. Um, mm. And I see this a lot with patients. It's sort of like they then are... Um, put themselves in that category almost of, well, this is me. And it's like, well, no, you have that, but it's not you. You know, I say mm. the same thing. You have fingernails, but you're not a fingernail. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. So use that idea. And I think that's really refreshing for people to be able to step outside of that and not be defined by that. Yeah. And I think that whilst you say it can be easy to do that, um, I mean, once you meet Georgie, you, I would never, you wouldn't, I no. guess it's just what you project as well. So I yeah. think that's really Absolutely. amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm. definitely. And I've got other things going on in my life so um, Mm. yeah there's always other things to talk about too but (laughs) yeah and I I really do it's really made me feel though um, that definitely it must be hard or I think some people find it really hard to um, know how to approach it or how to tackle it So speaking of that then you know what is it that would have helped you when you either first diagnose or you first tell someone or someone meets you because no one knows what to say <laughs> can you yeah. give us some insight there? Like, you <laughs> yeah. know, is there, what's the worst thing someone can say to you? Like, really, I don't want to. I don't want to look at the negative. But, may, well, what's the best thing someone can say to you? Or sometimes it's not saying anything at all. Yeah. Oh, probably being such a moody person. It really <laughs> <laughs> depends how I'm feeling on the day. You do not no, strike me as moody at all. But I've, no. you know, known you all of fifteen minutes. So, <laughs> um, a few people know that I really can be, but um, no. Uh, you know, I, it's going to be different for okay, everyone. Yeah, it sure. really is. But sometimes not saying anything is actually okay as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah? exactly, exactly. Like just, that's what I would imagine. Sometimes just mm. a well, hand on your shoulder, t- or a hug, or a just yeah. whatever. Just, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's always Being normal. Really yeah. nice. Yeah. It's well, hard. I actually. Um, after you were diagnosed last year, um, I went to my GP about something else and I said to her, I was like, oh, look, a good friend of mine's just been diagnosed with cancer again and, you know, told her the story. And I said, I don't know what that means. And she said, just treat her normally. She said, she's just normal. Yeah, she's still a person. <laughs> she's the same yeah. person exactly. She was like, it's, it doesn't, you know, like... It, that's it, good. That's yeah. not... That's and not what you should just be focusing on. And you those know? lovely conversations with you where you made me laugh all the time, as you oh, always do, that friend. always helps a lot. You need a, a friend, friend that's going to be stupid in front of you, don't you? <laughs> anyway, well, we wish you the best of luck. Thank with, you. Uh, with everything that lays ahead. Mm. It sounds like it's all positive. Yeah, and, and yeah, fingers crossed, but the uncertainty is the same in every way, you know, for everyone. Yeah, so, um, yeah. It's good. It's a good thing to remind us all of. Yeah. Okay, so since we spoke to Georgie, that was actually a few months ago and a lot has kind of changed because, you know, I guess when you're having treatments and and things that are new, you know, it's all kind of a bit experimental. Absolutely. So we put in a call and here she is on the line. Hello, are you there, Georgie? I sure am. How are you? Oh, hello. Welcome back. (laughs) Thank you. Now... Um, it is a bit funny that we're putting this together with what we spoke to you about, you know, a few months back. But I just thought it was so important because things have really moved along in in ways that perhaps you didn't know about back then. Is that right? Yeah, things have changed, and I guess I was a bit disappointed to to see that happen because I'd hoped that the treatment that I was on was going to last um, or be effective for for longer than it was, which was about seven months. Okay. Um, so yeah, that has changed. So. This was the treatment you were telling us about, and I think you said it was about two years that was expected to... Yeah, on average, I think, for the women that were on it previously, um, about two years, I think two years and three months or something was the uh, rate that it, yeah, was effective for. 
Okay, so you obviously are uh, the challenge for this one. So <laughs> your, your wonderful <laughs> body said, no, thank you. We we're going to do it differently. So what's happened? I, I had a quick look at your blog. We hadn't had a chance to catch up about it, but you've said that they've put you on something where you're the only person in Australia. Um, yeah, so I'm on a clinical trial um, and on a kind of early um, phase of the clinical trial, it's actually phase one, which um, does mean that I don't have a placebo. So I definitely know that I'm getting the drug. Oh, thank goodness, yep. Yeah, which is good. So, But because it's such an early kind of trial, um, they put very few people on, onto it in the initial stages until they're happy with um, the rate that it's effective and the level of kind of that people can tolerate the medication as well. So, um, yeah, I think um, a few more people from Australia have now joined the trial since I started. Um, but at the time when I went onto it, I was the only person in Australia who was on the highest level or the highest dosage level of that particular drug. But luckily, since I've been on it, you know, people have kind of done well on it. So they've added more people and increased the dosage. Wow. So can you tell us a little bit about what it is? Can you elaborate at all? I can give it a go. <laughs> um, so it's, um, it's another hormone therapy. Um, so I was on hormone therapy before. And again, it's a tablet, so that's great um, mm-hmm. because it means I uh, just need to take them every day from home, don't need to come into hospital for treatment. Mm. Um, and again, you know, really great for me is that they don't seem to have um, kind of nasty side effects so far, which that's is great. brilliant, really, really good. So it means that pretty much I can carry on with, with my normal life, which is great. Yeah, you sound um, good. Yeah, so I'm feeling good. I'm feeling really good and I'm really, really happy about that. Um, there was a bit of a wobble when I, you know, found out that the last one wasn't working and, you know, didn't know sort of how, how effective this one would be and still don't really know because obviously it takes a while for a door to kick in and everyone is different on, on everything. So, um, but yeah, I guess I was a bit disappointed the last hospital appointment. It wasn't brilliant, but it wasn't terrible. <laughs> I love your optimistic view on life. You're amazing. And and I love that you your reaction to when you got bad news was, well, that's a bit disappointing. Uh, well, that was disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm English. What can you expect? <laughs> you could rage or you could cuss or you I could know. do everything or you could take uh, it, keep calm and carry on. Yeah. Well, I, I did get a bit upset a few hours later yeah, when it really hit me. Of course. Um, but uh, yeah, you got to hold it together when you're in hospital. <laughs> now, you're happy to share your blog with anyone that wants to have a read of it, aren't you? If anyone wants to have a read, yeah, so they're very, generous, very welcome. So it's very basic at the moment. And um, when I get some time, because um, I'm working at the moment, um, I will add some photos and make it a bit more exciting and informative. Hopefully, that's my plan. But at the moment, it's really just kind of updates for family and and friends, because a lot of them are overseas. The address is um, georgiefj.wordpress.com. Brilliant. Okay, so georgiefj.wordpress.com. Yeah. Well, I think it is a good read, though, because one of the things that um, has really struck me about having a chat to you about living with cancer is that there's so many assumptions about what everybody in society knows about cancer or what you should say or what the terminology is. But really, Aww. you know, if you haven't been through it, with someone that you love or yourself, it's it's a bit baffling. Yeah. So, of course, it's really complex. Mm. It really is. Just, I mean, yeah, the whole kind of medical side of things, um, I, I think, is complex, and I'm just beginning to try and understand things. But, yeah, and I'm sure it's really, really hard for people around patients and and kind of family of patients 
and loved ones of patients to kind of know what to say. Definitely, I, I know I've always found that hard with other people as well, but it's difficult for everyone, I think. I'm very happy for people to talk to me or not talk to me about it. <laughs> I suppose it's also good too because it gives you somewhere you can point people. If you just don't feel like talking about it, you can just go go and read the blog. <laughs> That's all. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. all self-explanatory. Before we um, spoke to you today, I was trying to work out what some good resources are for people who might have breast cancer or someone they love is dealing with it. What are your top tips for places you can go for support? Within Australia, there's um, Cancer Council and they've got some some good resources and I think they do offer a lot of support um, in different ways, whether online, I think they also signpost to groups and forums and things. Um, In Melbourne, Think Pink is a really fantastic organisation and they run different sort of um, peer-led support groups uh-huh. um, and workshops and they do really amazing um, work um, and I actually go to a, a monthly support group for women with metastatic breast cancer and just meet with kind of like-minded people, people not like-minded but people mm. who've got you know similar same situations situation. yeah and sometimes they have guest speakers which is informative a bit confronting sometimes but uh, we always have a laugh, so that's good. It's good too um, because it's the sort of thing like if you have a baby, they pop you in a group with other women yes, that are in the course. same situation. Yeah. And let's face it, us ladies, we like to talk we about what's going on with us. definitely do. We need this. This is something we actually need. It does need. help. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. there's one other, I think, really great um, organisation called Breast Cancer Network Australia. And um, so that's BCNA. And they do amazing um, kind of fundraising and also policy um, work trying to influence, influence government on, you mm. know, medications and um, that sort of thing. So those three are really great ones, I think. Um, yeah, and have helped me, definitely. Perfect. Well, you sound amazing. You sound like... I'm not amazing, but thank you. Yeah, on top of the world. Just come <laughs> well, back from a you. trip to the European summer too. I, I know. I've had a lovely time. It's good to be back here though as well. Oh, awesome. that's good. All right. Well, thank you once again for being part of the Wellness Collective and um, I'm sure everyone can keep in touch with what's going on through the blog. So that's fantastic. Thank you. Thanks so much. She's amazing. She is amazing. I let you talk more then because mm. she's, you know, your friend. She's my peep. She's your peep, <laughs> and, you know. And, it's, yeah, it is really hard. And, and that's actually what we're talking about. Like, it's hard to know what to say. It is hard and to know what to say. this is why I think it's so important that we have these conversations, not just about what to do and treatment, but actually mm. how we can support people that we love yep. um, so that they can, you know, get what they need. Mm. Sometimes it's not actually saying anything at all, is it? Not just being. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, well, we hope that you uh, enjoyed this episode. Yes. And just to repeat, so it's the Think Pink Foundation, the BCNA website, so the Breast mm-hmm. Cancer Network Australia. Mm-hmm. And um, check out her blog because, yeah, it is really interesting. And information is power, people. Absolutely. Information and support. Mm-hmm. Information. And Until support. next time. We hope that this episode has, has left, left you, you feeling happier, healthier and a bit better. Yes. Bye. Bye. Thank you.